This is Ditch Diggers, episode 16 and season 7. And ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice For your writing career To be clear No punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off Believe me she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right Yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks Buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way To make your writer shut up It's hard work But the perk is that It's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there When you're done writing Ditch diggers And today with me, who is not Matt, I have Alistair Stewart, who is our moxie. Last week, last week, like several weeks into this whole thing, Matt came up with the fact that Matt proxies are moxies. And I'm thinking, you couldn't have done that in April? So, yeah. So, Matt, it's... it's so now we have Alistair Stewart back again. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your wisdom, Alistair. Um, Al is the Hugo Award-nominated uh, nonfiction write, fan writer, um, writer of a Hugo-nominated fanzine, which is why you're fan writer-nominated, but it's two different things. And... Um, yeah, you just you just nominated for half of the ones this year, and uh, owner and co-owner of Escape Pod and all the other uh, podcast magazines. And what am I else am I missing, Alistair? You do you have you wear more hats than I do, and that's that's something. Okay, um, I do bits and pieces of RPG writing for people who actually pay, and I also do occasional bits of journalism for folks who aren't me. But pretty much everything you covered is, is the majority of the work these days. Great. And we have had dog cam uh, uncover d demanded early on. So here's dog cam. Damn it, I changed this. Mmm. I had this I had this all set so that uh, you wouldn't see any of this crap. You just see the dog, but apparently it didn't save, so there is dog cam for you. Observe the um, dog. Let's see. And let's say hi to people in chat, because people are chatting. Uh, Star Hello, Green chat. is here. Uh, Professor Nicteris is here. Underpope is here. Jasmine is here. Thank you, Jasmine, for the marketing comment. I've been meaning to do that for quite some time. Uh, Anne is here. Tasha's here. Um, Sybil Rose. Will is here. Glad you could make it, Will. Jasmine says you have Moxie and are one yourself. Oh. Uh, Underpope is arguing, saying if your shirt says you're Matt Wallace, you're Matt Wallace, because as Meerkat says, your shirt wouldn't lie to us. Were I wearing the shirt that says I am Cameron Hurley, we would be having a different version of that conversation. That's true. Um, and Numbers Ninja is here as our awesome moderator. And, um, let's see. Wow, just all the, the chatty. I love it. It's hard to keep up. And you are welcome to share some good news here. Would love to hear it. Um, just to let you know, my yay button is not hooked up to this specific uh, set of scenes. So the yay button will have to be virtual. But please, let us know if you have good news. I love it. Oh, yeah. Hey, Todd, how are you? Okay, caught up with chat, excellent. Um, so while we wait for Anne to uh, give us uh, good news, Alistair, what have you been up to lately? What's what's on your plate right now? Since we just talked about the fact that you are all of the um, all of the freelancers in the world. <laughs> um, a couple of things actually. Today, uh, there's I've spent some time. Um, doing first-pass edits on a non-fiction book that I can't quite talk about. Uh, it's for a company that I've worked for before, and they do deep-dive critical analyses of classic genre television. Ooh, that's and, neat. Yeah, and um, I had a lot of fun with the last one of these I did. And this is a property which is is 
kind of brand new to them. So I, I did that thing I sometimes do where I'm like, I should do this. It's complex and difficult and I'll, I'll be really good at it. <laughs> and, for, and for once, my brain did not three months later go, are you? It, it actually went quite well. Although I did have a great uh, comment in the editorial meeting I had on Sunday where we got to something and, and I was like, yeah, this metaphor turned up halfway through the writing process. And the editor just looked at me straight down the barrel of Zoom and went, oh, I know. <laughs> so that's going well. And I'm going to get that turned around by the end of July. Uh, there'll probably be another edit pass on it then. But by and large, it's it's quite done. There's a couple of things that need to be moved, moved around, but not much. Um, and I'm also doing some uh, some work on the next and I believe final supplement for After the War, the RPG that Jason Peter and I and a bunch of amazingly talented other folks designed a couple of years ago. Um, I love that world. I have very big plans for that world. And Jason has given me some really fun stuff to do. I get to design a couple of new alien races and I get to bolt some more stuff into the incredibly obtuse history that I managed to invent that starts off with things like the wow signal from Arecibo and goes thousands of years backwards and a few thousand years forwards and things like finding huge kinetic kill vehicles parked under the plane of the elliptic of the solar system, almost like something really awful blew through settled space thousands of years ago and the, the survivors rigged booby traps for it lest it return, which it did. Uh, ah. It's... It's a really fun world. I really enjoy playing with it. So that's going on. Um, this week's Full Lid, the pop culture newsletter that I write, and which is edited by the amazing Marguerite, who is my partner in all things, and I love more than life itself. Uh, so far... Has, is that her official uh, title? Her checkbook's really long. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Um, has so far looks like it's going to be a review of the uh, crime debut of a very good friend of mine, Jen Williams, which is in this country is called Dog Rose Dirt and in the US is called The Dark and Secret Place. And in both places will scare the bejesus out of you. Okay. It is that rarest of beasts. It is a crime novel about a serial killer who murders women written by a woman who brooks absolutely no romance of the serial killer bullshit. The, the, there is a moment in there which is basically Ted Bundy. Yeah, fuck him. Um, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, so there's that. And it's also hopefully going to be a piece about the Forever Perch, which I saw last week. And which, because my brain both loves and hates me, I managed to tie to the arrival of Freedom Day in the UK. For those of you in the US who are unfamiliar with what Freedom Day is, Freedom Day was Monday. And Freedom Day is what happens when your criminally incompetent, bigoted, hypocrite government decides that they really can't be bothered dealing with COVID-19 any longer. So they're just going to turn all the restrictions off. Not everybody is fully vaccinated. The borders are functionally open. Nightclubs, bars, it's all open. You don't have to wear masks anywhere anymore. And I am very heartened by how many people have gone, <laughs> no, and still are. Yeah. But that was just the latest in, in the, the long line of difficult to deal with bullshit nonsense that the last two years have handed all of us. And it actually dovetailed really interestingly with, with The Forever Purge, which is for now the final movie, and how that deals with this awful thing inflicted on the populace by the government and how it finds hope within that. So if I can land that piece, that's going to be really impressive. And if I can't land that piece, then uh, I'm just going to cry. Or try again next no. week, because not everything or, or, we make is going to or, be... It's going to yeah, land. Ex exactly. Or, or just, yeah. just try again next week. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, the, that's my week so far. Wow, excellent. Um, we have Anne's good news. I'm taking an editing and proofreading uh, course with the Chicago Manual Style course. Oh, not right. And I've passed the previous five lessons out of 16. That sounds like good a lot job, of work. Anne. Hell yeah. A lot of work and a lot of uh, payback. That's really awesome. Because that stuff's not easy. I remember the Chicago Manual style. It's rough. Also, you could you could successfully club a humpback whale to at least unconsciousness with it by True. carefully putting it in a sock. I mean, I'm no. not saying you should go hunt crustaceans with the Chicago crustacean cephalopods with a Chicago style guide in a sock. I'm saying if you were called upon to do that, you have that option. True. True. 
um, and and got first Moderna vaccine. Welcome to the Dolly Parton Club, and uh, very glad to see you're on your way of, to becoming immortal, which is what Hooray. I like to think I am, even though, you know, I still wear my mask because I know I'm not immortal. Yeah, but that, that way you can also fool other people. They'll be like, what, what is she thinking? Yeah. What is the plan? So the... Um, the one, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, while you do wear many, many hats, I wanted to focus, as a nonfiction writer, you have uh, your eyes open to all the stuff, good and bad, that's happening in uh, writing and uh, science fiction at large. And I have only the information I have as a co-editor of Escape Pod. So I was wondering where you thought... Uh, publishing was going around this time, including uh, topics that were inspired by last year's uh, trip to hell <laughs> and whether people should write to the market, whether it's too soon, whether you should follow the advice to just continue writing um, what you... Uh, what inspires you? What 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 would you say? Uh, I can I think I can answer this on two fronts: one personal, one um, professional. I think from a professional point of view, this this is a great question, by the way. And from a professional point of view, this is tied into the the the, the fact that all fiction is inherently political, because uh, all fiction, all art is inherently political, because you can't separate art from the time within which it's created and the time within which it's created is influenced by the political situation in which it is created. It will change and that often leads and your, your perception of it will change but the art won't. And that leads to some really really interesting situations. I was listening to um, a very popular nerdcore rapper the other day whilst I was doing the washing up and I, I have a awful lot of time for him and very little time these days for his early songs almost all of which are complaining about how little sex he has <laughs> and, oh god yes and, mm. and this, this is a guy is a good chance a lot of your audience may own albums by I, I am genuinely a fan but those early albums are not going to get picked up again anytime soon um so you know there's stuff like that there's stuff like the the very the very unusual feeling you get when you look at a cultural event from the outside that you live through. Uh, we watched an episode of This Is Pop on Netflix last night, which is a really good show about the series of documentaries about the history of pop music. The one presented by Orville Peck about the uh, gay and person of color revolution in country music is amazingly good and I heartily recommend. The Britpop one is, is less so. Um, largely because all the central personalities in it are still so awful and so egotistical that none of them would talk to them. So it was very interesting to look at the things that they talked about and the things they did. And it was more interesting to look back at a period of time in the UK where what was referred to as lad culture was prevalent. Lad culture being go out, get drunk, have a fight, play some football, come back, fall over. I finished growing up in this. And uh, it was, I believe the technical term is nightmarish. And it was nightmarish for a six foot two straight white dude. So, you know, I, I did not usually have to put my keys through my fingers walking home just in case. I had friends who did. I actually got into debt making sure that the all female tabletop RPG group I had in college took taxis home because the campus abutted onto an area that people would get drunk and have fights and fall over. And that's kind of my point about politics and art. It all happens of a piece. It's all connected. And as a result, I think what you're seeing at the moment is a transitional period. Um, you're seeing people start to react to the last couple of years. And I mean, as, as you will know, publishing works on geological timescales. Two and a half years is now so yeah. we're just about to start seeing these books coming out. And there's already some indication, I think, of how these things are trying to be dealt with. Um, and interestingly, we see those approaches in media that moves a little bit faster. 
There is a Michael Bay produced movie called Songbird, which was produced during the early months of uh, the initial pandemic. And it is set three years in the future when COVID-19 has become COVID-24 and uh, some people are immune and everyone else is permanently locked in their house and immune, uh, immune couriers carry goods between people. It's a fascinating movie. Note, at no point in the next five minutes will I say it is a good movie, because it's not. But it is a film that directly addresses the pandemic in a way nothing else has. And it guesses at an awful lot of stuff. I mean, there's, there is repeated reference to a containment camp for the infected in, in Los Angeles, which is clearly the thing the budget couldn't stretch to, because it's continually just off screen. Mm. Um, there is the most interesting plot thread is a character who was literally this close to becoming a constructed YouTube viral sensation when the outbreak hit. And now she's got nothing. So a lot of the movie is about how she tries to get by. And it directly addresses and interacts with what life was like at that time for some people and what everyone thought life was going to be like. And it's a, it's a very interesting failure. It has a ridiculous cast, Demi Moore, Bradley Whitford, KJ Apa, Alexandra Daddario. Wait, they had, the, they had the budget for that and not the budget for uh, Containment Camp? I, I, I can only assume Bradley Whitford needed his Oreos. And frankly, if Josh needs his Oreos, Josh gets his Oreos. Okay. You know? Um, but it is the first piece of genuine pandemic, post or semi-post-pandemic fiction I've seen. And it won't be the last. Um, there'll be a lot more to come, I'm quite sure. And I mean, in publishing... What you're starting to see is an awful lot of the, the sites of record, if you will, starting to look at work that's already extant and talking about it as means of understanding what we're all going through. You know, um, I have an interesting, there's an interesting article I dug up um, caught from Penguin Random House, actually, about some of the books they publish about, about epidemics, which covers everything from the opioid crisis through to uh, Emily St. John Mandel's superb Station Eleven, which is right. fantastic and speaks directly to this kind of situation. So I think to circle back around and, and kind of bring the plane of answers into land, this kind of thing is something which genre fiction always talks about to some degree. But what we, what we are about to see, I would guess, is it talking about things with far more specificity and far more uncertainty and experimentation because this isn't over. This is not going to be over for another year or so. Yeah. So, you know, there is that awful kind of when, when do you go problem? When do you release something that's relevant? Do you wait too long and it becomes irrelevant? Do you go too early and it doesn't land? Uh, I mean, I, I've read a couple of pieces in the early days of the pandemic about authors having to change their books on the fly. You know, someone said, I have lots of scenes of people in pubs and I'm having to write about how they, they all have masks on now. So what you're seeing or what you're about to see is almost a fiction space version of the early days of the pandemic. It's about to hit and spread. And we're about to see how fiction reacts to it in much the same way we saw the real world react to it. And that's going to be quite stressful because it was pretty stressful in the real world. And I think... The yeah. good publishing companies, the ethical ones, are going to be the ones who are ready for that. So here's my question, um, and and I hate to say this, but this is a this is a truism about publishing, which is um, your devastating life of uh, divorce and alcoholism and rock bottom is, of course, a very powerful story, but the publishers heard it. That's not yep. the kind of memoir they're going to buy because they have heard it. When they get deluged with a bunch of uh, either pandemic or lockdown or whatever stories, um, I don't know where my question's going. I, I guess I'm just worried that uh, what you think is... is and, and, and what you write might be brilliant. It might be hard-hitting and amazing, and but... If it's just like all the others, because this is one of those very few things that almost everybody in the world experienced in some way or another. Even if you're just like 
eyes closed and and denying the whole thing, your life was affected by it. So coming up with unique stories from this thing that we all experienced, it's got to be a challenge, isn't it? Massively so. And it's it's been really interesting to see the early indications of that. Um, I forget who wrote it, but the pandemic Gone Girl is going to come out in about, about two months, if, if it isn't already. A uh, woman has an affair with husband of best friend or husband of, ne of nearby roommate in an apartment building. He dies. She sees who kills him, but she's in the apartment and she's not allowed to be due to social distancing rules. How does she solve the murder? Is this a, a so, book you know of, or are you? Yes, that's just definitely guessing? coming out. That's oh, being okay. Written. Interesting. Yes, so you're absolutely going to see that kind of thing coming out. Um, the other kind of flip side to that is you're also going to see exactly the same stories we've always seen, just with a COVID nineteen filter over the top. Uh, it's time for a confession. I, I am very fond of a TV show called Nine One One Emergency Response, which is demented, frankly. Uh, the very first episode of it I saw had a kid in a runaway sports car being stopped by him literally being run over. A kidnapped woman who had given birth and the baby had then been kidnapped by somebody else. And um, I believe someone being impaled on some railings in the first 20 minutes. Future episodes include... It also has a spin-off set in Austin, which looks an awful lot like uh, California because Rob Lowe, the star, won't move. The spin-off deals with an active volcano under Austin in one episode. I'm not joking. Uh, a crossbow sniper in another. And uh, there's also a mudslide and a tidal wave, although not at the same time in the original show. Now, I, I'm... This 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 thing is is a puppy of a TV show. It's very excited and has too many legs and has a lot of feelings, and it's usually awful and it's occasionally great. And they've actually done a lot, lot of really good work tackling the pandemic head on. The first episode of season four, and like everyone, their third se their like most recent season was very quickly curtailed by the outbreak. It's pretty much all Zoom calls, and you see as the show develops. Everyone's wearing masks unless there's two or three people in the scene, so you don't have to worry too much about that. See the same thing with Leverage Redemption. There's that is very, very beautifully and carefully shot, and it takes a while to realize that a lot of the time it's either the main characters who are obviously being housed together in a bubble to minimize in the risk of infection, I would guess, or one main character and one other person with extras in the distance. I don't think I noticed that. Good eye, Al. This is why Thank he's you. nominated for the Hugo. Uh, there's a there's a distinctly, it's not bad. It is it is interesting. There's a Netflix science fiction movie called Awake, where it really popped for me. Where the primary cast really is four people in a car, and at one point there's a hostage standoff, and you don't see the hostage and the hostage taker in the same shot, and all the other extras are 150 meters back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, gosh, where do we go from here? Um, we maybe talk about the fact that this type of thing has happened before or is happening in other subtle ways. I mean, there's, there's a lot of Brexit fiction. Mm -hmm. Most of it being spoken by the government. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Ugly weeping. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Simple crash. Yes. But uh, there's, I mean, there's things like, where is it? I have this on a tab. I'm just pulling it up. Everything Belongs to the Future by Laurie Penny is distinctly Brexit-esque in its exploration of the collision between class and reality and this tiny, miserable, sun-baked island. Um, and Chris Beckett's been doing really interesting stuff looking at this. Uh, you're starting to see some exploration of it, strangely enough, in comics. Excalibur at the moment, the Marvel comic about the, the British super team. One of the driving plots right now is that the X-Men have established a nation in, in the Marvel Universe now called Krakoa. And of course, Excalibur go there uh, because it's a nation for all mutant kind. Britain has just Brexited 
from its treaty with Krakoa. So the, the Excalibur team must now work out how to operate as Britain's primary defenders when they don't have access to their resources. Yeah. So you're starting to see it pop up more and more. And the interesting thing is it doesn't feel like a tidal wave. It feels like a tide. It feels like you're starting to see more and more stories dealing with this in various different ways, but not dealing with it as the kind of head-on personal narratives, which I would look to pros to provide, but dealing with it as a, this is how the world is at the moment, and this is how we're processing it. That next season of Doctor Who is going to be especially interesting for that, I think. Yeah. So um, there's all there's the the everlasting uh, question, which is really frustrating because um, agents will tell you not to write to the market, and then in the next breath they will tell you, does anybody have a good uh, vampire stock car racing novel? That's what I'd really love to represent, and uh, so. If someone's thinking, I've got a couple of ideas for a novel, should I go for the one that echoes 2020, or should I just stay the hell away? Something which Mur and I both have in common is that sometimes I have to work on the project that itches, not the project <laughs> that's in front of us. Yeah. And I, you'll find that with a lot of artists, a lot of creatives across multiple disciplines and fields. And I think that's the best possible answer for a situation like that. If the Brexit story or the dystopian pandemic science fiction novel, hell, I would love to see a utopian post-pandemic novel, that would be amazing, speaks to you, or the short story speaks to you, or the movie or the comic or whatever speaks to you, write it. Write it for two reasons. Firstly, it will get it out of your head and it will free up other space. And secondly, and this is very important at the moment. This is something which my own personal journey is teaching me an awful lot. It will help you. This is, I'm always very reluctant to talk about this stuff because, you know, and anytime we do public stuff like this, it's very tempting to just be kind of cheery and jolly and hooray, let's do things, which God knows we all fucking need. But yeah. we, we are still in perhaps the back third Oh, but certainly still in, a global nightmare. You are, chances are, stressed and frightened, not just about you, but about your friends and other people in ways which you don't see until you do. And at times like that, kindness to yourself is both impossible, or seems that way, and absolutely essential. If it's going to make you feel better writing about this, if it's going to give it edges, if it's going to give you a sense of control, do it because I promise the sense of victory you'll get by being able to go, that is my fear that I have calcified and put in that 8,000 word box. Maybe someone's gonna give me some money for it. And it, even if they don't, it doesn't matter because that little shit is out of my brain in that format. There is no feeling like that on earth. Yeah. And we all deserve that feeling. Yeah, true. Um, going to chat, uh, Professor Nectira says, that's that's incredible. I usually don't watch with an analytical eye. Going back to you spotting which shows were filmed during lockdown. And um, Meerkat says, I've been getting into writing a whole lot more in the last couple of years as a form of catharsis. Yep. Oh, yeah. I still, very... like, I still like writing as a uh, an escape. I don't like working through my issues in writing because that'll just make me angrier or more upset. I don't I don't get that feeling of, of purging, catharsis, all that stuff. So I still try to get a little happy, but uh, it's not you, always easy. You, you get a lot happy. And my, my point about art representing politics, reflecting politics and politics influencing art, happens with that as well. Even you'll find the catharsis, you'll find you're writing about this stuff without being consciously aware of it a lot of the time, simply because it, yeah. your perspective is altered and shifted by it. Other times you'll find you are consciously aware of it. I mean, I, uh, I'm three weeks into using a CPAP machine, having received a sleep apnea diagnosis a little while ago. And I have the top 10% of my brain back for the first time in, I would guess, at least a year. And it was a very difficult process, not in terms of 
diagnosis and getting the machine. The diagnosis was a six-month slog through a couple of appointments, and getting the machine was a really nice conversation with a nice lady who went, here's your sleep bot, love. Here's how it works. Accepting that that wasn't a failure of me was something that was very difficult. Yeah. And I completely accept that it is not a failure of me. It is an issue with my body which I need to address. And by ignoring that issue, I was doing myself damage. So by addressing it, I've done a good thing. Which, much like Fezzik in The Princess Bride, I promise I won't let go to my head. But the point is, you have to deal with stuff head on sometimes. And sometimes, if you're lucky, you can sidle up to it and deal with it through metaphor and simile, because that's what we do. But it will always end up coming out, and it will always eventually help you feel better when you do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're getting the, the help and the sleep that you need, dude. It's, oh, God, me too. That's a, that's a good healthy thing. Healthy thing. Greed <laughs> is at times perhaps less happy, given that the, that top percent, top ten percent of my brain, on Saturday decided that the best possible thing it could do is point out that firstly, the rhyme scheme in War Pigs by Black Sabbath is dreadful. The first two lines are uh, both used to rhyme the word masses with itself, and secondly, that those lines become inherently hilarious the moment they are sung by Eric Cartman, as many songs do. Yeah. And somehow this was rendered down into the fact that by early early afternoon, periodically, I'd be just be sitting on my computer and I'd go, Method! And she'd look at me and I'd go, Method! And she would just go, please stop. And I would. Anyway, let's like talk I'm, about books. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not sure where, where, where that one was going to go. Uh, we got a couple of new people in chat. We got Diva Spice and Southpaw. Welcome. Ocean. Hey, folks. Motion. I hear a lot of emotions for Shovel Talk. Well, you know, oh, that's actually, the... um, just, just before we, we, we went on there, we discussed what the show would be like if it was based in the UK. And I believe we settled on, hello, and welcome to Dirt Butlers. Yes, the Dirt Butlers. Actually, well, I like that like better. It. Do you think Matt will, well, uh, will agree to a name change? I didn't, I just hear welcome to Dirt Butlers. What? <laughs> uh, Place hooray smells in Englishy. Yeah. Crumpets and such. Hooray for addressing your sleep apnea, says Southpaw. Uh, Thank I you. And getting a CPAP saved my brain and my marriage. And uh, also Good Todd job. says, getting my sleep apnea noticed and treated was the best thing that happened to me. Go, Al. So, lots of support in the chat for you. That's awesome. Thank you, folks. Um, I don't think I've said this on a stream yet, and if I have, I apologize, but um, I finally got a name, a title for my book, and this has to do with ditch digging oh, because so sometimes you can't agree on the title with with a traditional uh publishing deal one thing that you're giving up for that money is control and marketing uh and or my editor weren't crazy about my uh titles the many titles i sent and so we just decided to wait until it was time the final draft was in and we could give to marketing and, and they could talk about it and then it took a while to get to the final draft some of that was my fault um most of it was my fault some of it was, some of it was COVID come on but yeah. it's like my 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 uh book had gone un untitled forever and I even did a thing where I uh I've got song lyrics in the book and when I sent the people the um they're from a Clipping and the garages, the the baseball fan um, uh, group. Sorry, um, and when I sent them the releases, I had to say, you know, I'll be using this uh, this line in my book titled, and then I had to put untitled murder space book because that that's what I finally settled on the working title. Because it says exactly what it is and the problem I'm having. It's untitled. And it's a murder space book. So, uh, 
it was like, the guys in Clipping know me, so they know that I'm not kidding. Or just, like, being ridiculous by saying, hey, can I use your music in my book that's untitled? But uh, I was a little worried about the other one, but uh, that at least got accepted. But, um... Tell them the title, Mike. Can you tell them the title? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The title is uh, State, Station Eternity, Book One of the Midsolar Murders. So yes. the, the pun that my friend came up with actually made it into become the series title. And we just went for a simple... Uh, a simple title. And since the murder is in the... Space. Well, the... Yes, the murder's in space. I meant the murder is in the series title, so we don't have to put the murder in the book title. So the book says space and the series says murder. So um, that's that's what I got, and I'm just very relieved to be able to say that now. It's it's feels like you've got a hold of it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, on the schedule now as uh, next fall. I do have a. I do have a month, but I don't know if that's going to change, so I won't say that. But I think saying next fall and uh, a little over a year is the is safe enough. Because uh, remember, publishing moves at the same speed as tectonic plates. Exactly. Uh, Crumpets and Such will be the name of my very next folk, folk rock band, says Wired Duck. Um, We're Crumpets and Such. Welcome to the Taylor of Gloucester. Yes, that would work. Dirt Butlers. Be you gonna call Dirt Butlers? <laughs> Murdering space, murdered by space, murder in space, ocean emotion. You're gonna have to find out. You just got to get the book and find out. Uh, sorry about the rejections on the Pope. Oh no, we celebrate rejections, Alistair. Hey, good job about the rejections on the Pope. Rejections mean you're a working writer. Damn right. Yes, yeah, so well done, Under Pope. And Under Pope has got to be up to 70 submissions this year. Wow. I think. I, I'm, I'm guessing because you were at 60 last time you met. You were at 60-something last time you mentioned. <laughs> and so people are still on the English snacks. We got a lot of cream coming in. I uh, six, once 65. A near international incident between some uh, friends from the Netherlands and some friends from the UK about whether you put the cream and then the jam on the scone, whether you put the scone, the jam, and then the cream on the scone. You know, I'd laugh, but uh, I have been taken to task for not eating Northern American food the right way. So I get it. What would be what? Well, you know, there there are some sandwiches that are holy, and you don't do the southern thing, like put put mayonnaise on them. There, oh, okay. there's some things that, that that require a certain sauce, and some things that don't require a certain. It's just, you know, then you got to wonder if you're staying true to the food or eating what you want, and it's it becomes a larger thing, especially when you take into account the the fact that food is often a mark of familial or ethnic or location uh the, 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 this, this would be why once when i was in italy uh i offended a waiter so badly for asking for cheese with my fish dish that for the rest of the night he would sit by the tables looking at me like this <laughs> uh, meerkat uh, I, I, fails at eating fish and chips the right way there is no wrong way to eat fish and chips there is a wrong way to eat burgers, I learned, which was the way which I've done, I had done up until meeting the love of my life, which was dismantling them and eating one piece at a time. That's well, pretty much like steak, a pretty crappy salad, and a roll with dinner, so. Yeah. The Great Poutine Wars, chicken or beef gravy. I would love to know the great about the Great Poutine Wars, Lee. That sounds awesome. I'm told oh, I have to put potato chips or crisps on my turkey sandwiches. Yes, you do. I would argue you have to put crisps on most sandwiches. I had to try to explain Cincinnati chili to someone today. All right, I don't remember what Cincinnati chili is. Um, you might have to explain it to me. And uh, Meerkat says Al is a monster. I regret nothing. 
<laughs> How certain people eat Kit Kats. Oh, hey, the kids are asleep. I, uh... You mean like some break them apart and some just like bite into them like a barbarian? This is that still from from Twitter ages ago, isn't it? With like a bite mark through the four bar Kit Kat with I choose violence written under it. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that's... But I mean, going back to the fact that we're talking about writing, even though we don't talk about craft on this show, Matt's not here to stop me. Um, next on Dirt Butlers. Next. Uh, when you're talking about... The food has so much power because of what I just said. It has... Food will immediately ground somebody in a scene or take them out of it. If you mention buffalo wings with Frank's hot sauce, that's grounding. Um, if you mention you go to Buffalo, New York and eat like barbecue wings, that's not that's not the dish that was born from that area. It's that that's a different sauce and and it's little things like that are very important and um I think that's one of the little details that really makes your book sing. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about... Uh, you can definitely ground a story in Iceland based on half the food we ate, which included... Um, oh, God. Tell them. Tell them of the orc butter. I don't think I had the orc butter. I did have... You all had uh, the orc butter. I don't remember the orc butter. Okay, I'll shall I do like a bit of context and then then you bring it home. Okay. All right. So we're in Iceland. We're in Helsinki for Wilcom, and Mur, because Mur is a genius, goes. We are in a foreign country. Let's have a fancy meal. And we go, cool. So we are booked in at this fancy restaurant, and it is. Fancy. It oh, is... that! I was not yes. there for that. I was not there for the big one. You had the yeah, because you had to pick up Fiona, and you had like the second version of it. Yes, I think. Yes, yeah. she was. She uh, was sick. She got sick in Iceland. So yeah. Um, the least fancy thing about this meal was the individual sourdough loaf that proved on the table for the first three hours. Yeah, because there were seventeen courses, um, and then was taken away and baked. And you could eat it with artisanal turnip butter, which was smeared for you on a piece of butcher paper, individually scrunched up by the by the restaurant staff member designated to look after you. This sounds like I'm making it up. I am not. No. This was also not the weirdest food available in Helsinki that week. That was a dead tie between the Tex-Mex and Escargo um, Sons of Anarchy biker joint which did surprisingly good tacos. Okay. And hand on a stack of Bibles, the dining table with the chef trapped in the middle of it, like some kind of Benihana oubliette, raised 500 feet in the air. You were harnessed in, and someone would cook for you oh, as you swayed yeah. precariously. We we looked at that and never just did not decide that was what we were going to spend our money on. Um, <laughs> you like like me looked at that and went, I could die in that. Thing. Yep. Maybe not. Yeah, but uh, you're mixing up Helsinki and Iceland. Because, I am mixing up Helsinki and, and and Finland and Iceland. Yes. Yeah, we went uh, to Iceland and then we went on to Helsinki and in Iceland we had things like um, rye bread ice cream. That oh, was that sounds amazing. I mean, it's like I knew that we have like a lot of fish things and probably a lot of jelly things made from fish stock or something. And so there were like less appetizing local things, but the rye bread ice cream was the one that I went, "What am I what what is this I'm eating? I don't understand this cold bread." Cold, creamy bread. Not not, not a thing. And I can't even tell you it's bad or good. It just kind of broke my brain a little bit. That I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But yes, I do remember the uh, reindeer-type steakhouse from uh, Helsinki, as well as we did go back to the many, many 
uh, crap, many, many course restaurant on our last night yes. there. Fiona was recovering. I think I was just ready to get, de- get, get sick with her cold, but, um, yeah, we, I think we had the smaller meal at like 14, uh, courses. And a lot of them were tiny courses. Like there's one that was just like a candied flower. It's, it's a can- small candied flower. That's a whole course. So it's not like, you know, 14, uh, spaghetti dishes but here's um, your your fifth steak stop crying yeah (laughs) yeah so um but yeah i remember uh we were all looking at a table near us which had its little bread proofing and no one came to sit at that table and we just kept looking at the bread going someone's got to bake that someone's abandoned the bread we need you need to cook the bread and, and the give bread it to too. us. Let it fulfill its its purpose in the world. But yes. Um, oh, Underpope says their Roomba's named Dirt Butler. Nice. Um, okay. Cincinnati chili is a layer of spaghetti, a layer of chili, not spicy, a layer of kidney beans, a layer of raw chopped onions, a metric ton of shredded cheese on top, served with oyster crackers and hot sauce. I strangely enough, that. strangely enough, my first question is: if you just make the chili spicy, you could skip the hot sauce. Like, like let's let's make it a little bit more efficient here. Next would, on dirt butlers, optimizing food. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Ocean emotion is not on board with the uh, the food in the air. I completely it, it, forgot about that one. Thank you for reminding me, because that's ah uh, yes. Numbers Ninja is saying the the raw the rye bread ice cream was very thick, like chewing ice cream. Yes. And uh, nice. hey, Bill, welcome in. Cold creamy bread sounds fun. It was. It was. But it was interesting. That's yeah. Reminded me of the mac and cheese ice cream, but the rye bread version sounds better. I I draw the line with the mac and cheese ice cream, and I know I disappointed the love of your life, Alistair. I know I disappointed her, but I gotta <laughs> say, you know, she and I are the people who like, you know, Velveeta and nacho cheese sauce. And There is nothing wrong with Velveeta. Velveeta is life. I'm pretty sure it's not life, but uh, anyway, it's, it's we, we try to support each other in this terrible terrible cheese eating but uh she sent me the mac the mac and cheese ice cream and i i can't i draw the line at you just can't Mm -mm. nope nope that's okay i'll i'll happily pull on that grenade okay hey gamer gramp Engage food optimization protocols. Okay, so we are near the end of our time. Um, aside from food, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, said goodbye so I can take a break and then come back in an hour with I Should Be Writing? Let me say, do this. I over overscheduled myself today, but it was worth it because Alistair can only... Uh, this is a good day for Alistair to stream. And uh, I'm doing my usual 3 o'clock I Should Be Writing. And then... Tonight is uh, Matt Wallace's book launch party, which is why uh, I did not have proof of life this episode because you'll see him tonight. So 7 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, we're doing the uh, launch party for um, Savage Bounty. I almost want you to recruit each one of the moxies in turn and just cut to the mic. So Matt, welcome to the book launch. (laughs) What? So Matt, welcome to the book launch. What? But then again, I'm also mildly worried that he'll have to journey the country with a katana and a motorbike, enjoying all of us and reabsorbing his quickening. Yeah. I didn't say anything about immortality when I emailed you to ask you to be part of this. Good to see you, Catwood. Thanks for dropping by. Sorry, Al? You know, who wants to live forever? True. True. I'll just leave the Queen reference there. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, the two things which I'd like to talk about. Sorry, I'm, I'm going a little bit cool. Thank you very much for having me on. The two things I'd like to uh, talk about. Um, I've got the latest issue of The Full Lid, with, uh, written by me, edited by Marguerite, will be out this Friday at 5 p.m. 
GMT or BST, which is British Sun Time right now because it is so hot here. Oh, ah. God. Um, and I'll, I think you have the link for that. And also, uh, tomorrow night, we will be talking to Cassandra Kaur on our stream at 10 p.m. BST. Excellent. About all, all sorts of excellent and fun stuff. Um, I'm writing down the the link to the full lid so I can remember to put it in the show notes. So fantastic! Um, I also have a whole bunch of links which I found when I was doing some research earlier this morning, which is kind of recommendations for stories about or genre fiction that touches on Brexit or books about the pandemic or books about the issue we didn't quite get to, which is immigration. And there's a couple of very good SFTV shows which basically which really put that front and center. So there's lots of there's gonna be lots of nice chewy background reading for folks to get their teeth into. Right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for doing no all that. Um, if you want to know learn more about the ditch diggers, either me or the guests, uh Murverse.com is where you can find the blog and show notes and you can uh subscribe or I guess they're calling it follow now. You follow the podcast there or yeah, wherever. The gets follow now. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, or wherever podcasts are, you can probably search for my name or Ditch Diggers to get there. Um, if you want to keep the lights on, you can support me via Patreon or uh, buy me a coffee or uh, you can support at Jemmy, which will get you either membership into the other two things or you can buy a pep talk, a personalized pep talk for uh, you or the writer in your life. And, and those uh, pep talks are great. Thank Worth you, it. Alistair. It's true. And I think that is everything I usually say. Um, I guess we'll do our usual DM Jazzy Hands raid because Jazzy is just so much fun. Oh, Thank thanks you so for much the for follow. joining us on, on this, this episode of Dirt Butlers. <laughs> Join us next week when we talk to the Queen about how long it has taken to successfully whittle a replacement William Shakespeare from butter. I, you know, when, when Al gets on a roll, it's really hard to follow him. <laughs> thank were, you for you being part for, of Dirt Butlers. The, thank you for having me be part of Dirt Butlers. Were you there for, I think, the, the thing in Spokane where Wallace looked across the street at a restaurant called Luigi's and went, what do you know about that? Now, well, I mean, it's good. The waiters are all tall and have mustaches and they have green overalls, and all of them have much more successful, shorter, younger brothers who wear red overalls. And it, it's really difficult for them because they do all the work, but the brothers get all the credit. And he looked at me for a really long time and just went, what is wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it sounds about right. Anyway, folks, I hope I see you again, and I should be writing in about an hour. And uh, right. the launch party tonight, Alistair, thank you so much for being uh, not thank Matt. Thank you for having or me on or our mat or whatever and uh talk to you sometime soon you will bye everybody you can support us at patreon.com slash mighty ditch diggers theme song by devo spice devospice.com